Welcome back to another edition of The Strawman Investor. I'm Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com and your host for this podcast series of conversations with leading investors and CEOs. In this episode, I'm joined by Nick Jones, Chief Executive Officer and Managing Director of Pure Profile, a technology-based marketing and media company that's looking to change the way we view our personal data. Indeed, Pure Profile is all about enabling people to extract value from their data and gives brands access to this in a more targeted and mutually beneficial way. It's a fascinating area and one in which the business is currently generating around 50 million in sales, but it's been a bumpy ride for shareholders. And in this conversation, Nick outlines the steps he's taken to right the ship as well as his vision for the future. I hope you enjoy this conversation and it gives you some good insight into the business and its opportunity. Okay, Nick, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. So I was wondering if you could give me a bit of an overview for exactly what Pure Profile does. I was reading uh, a report earlier on that described the business as a global data insights and programmatic media company. Can you interpret that for me in a way that someone like me could understand? Yeah, and it's interesting, right? I've been here 10 months and in my 10 months going around speaking to even our existing shareholders. The first question I've been asked is, so could you explain what the business does and what you do? That um, makes me a few, feel a bit better. Yes, indeed. There's a, few, there's a few buzzwords in there as well. So I think the easiest, easiest way to describe it is to talk about data and insights and the importance of being able to use data. And I, think, I don't think anybody now would be unaware of the growing influence of the importance of data um, and our ability to use technology to get insights from that data mm -hmm. work with it across behavioral data as well mm -hmm. so in other words I might you might come to me and offer me some information mm -hmm. but then I might want to find out more about you if I can actually connect with you on another platform I get a whole nother dimension of what you're spending your time doing, what, what you, who you are, not actually who you are, mm -hmm. but um, it enables us through our technology to put a value around an individual, a profile, for want of a better word. Okay. And we then use that to either sell to research companies. Um, it's all opt-in, so it's what we call declared data. So you are offering us this data, so there's no issues around it not being, um, you not wanting us to do that. And we might use it in research. We might use it for um, advertising agencies to better understand a market that they are going trying to reach for one of their clients. Uh, we will also um, use it ourselves to create segments of dog owners who, um, who live in Chatswood um, and spend more than 40 bucks a month on dog food because maybe Mars, pet food, want a, a group of people that they can then put a sample of a new dog food to, as, as an example. Gotcha. Um, so that's the core of our business. And that's, that was really where Pure Profile started, wasn't Absolutely it? Absolutely correct. That's right. the core of our business. And in truth, everything else we do comes from that. Okay. And if you understand the importance of data, you also maybe understand the difficulty of turning data into insights. And that might sound a simple thing, but it's actually not. And if we're able to do that, 
that's an incredibly prescient moment to, to do that because if you think bigger picture, my and our belief is that the importance of people's data is only going to increase over time. And the bit that's missing is that most people today think that when they hear about data, they think, I'm going to get ripped off, somebody's going to steal my credit card, somebody's going to steal my identity, it's bad. And actually, where they need to get to, and we hopefully will try and help that process, is to a point where they understand that their data is a good thing and they can get massive value out of it because it can make them money. But I think more important than that, and certainly the way we look at it, is more, or we're looking at it more and more, is in its exchange, it's an exchange of value. Mm -hmm. So if you can, the example, and everybody gets in within Pure Profile, gets bored with hearing me say this, but the example I always use is I'm a huge music fan. So if I went to Spotify, and Spotify said to me, give us some information about yourself, and in return we'll give you access to some exclusive content, or we'll give you some money off your monthly premium subscription, mm -hmm. That's a fantastic value exchange mm -hmm. for me. It actually might not be very much money because the subscription's only 12 bucks anyway, so hey, I might get five bucks off. Yeah. But actually it's five bucks, five bucks very well spent for me. Mm -hmm. So for us, the importance of helping people understand that their data can be of value, that they can use it to their own advantage, and it's albeit that there are still privacy issues that they need to be aware mm -hmm. of, but it's not just an, a, a negative game of, I don't want anybody to know this because it's a bad thing. Right. So that's at the heart of our business and everything else we do comes from that. So if you have insights, you can create market segments that you can then sell to people. If you have insights, you might know more about somebody and I might know that you're more likely to need car insurance because I know you bought a car last week. Right. So that's a value yep. and that creates a lead, as we call it, mm -hmm that somebody's prepared to pay money for to understand that Andrew has just bought a car and therefore there's a whole there's a whole raft of things that are going to happen because you just bought a car. So just to before we get into the other segments, sure. just to dig into that a bit more. Yeah. So the value to me is I, I might get content delivered to me, which is more appropriate to me, more yep. relevant to me. But you also mentioned in there as well that I might actually get a cash payment yep. as well. So it's not a rewards points thing or you know like a free frequent flyer system. Mm -hmm. It's actual cash that yeah. I get it in your bank account. Yeah, and Pure Profile actually started that way, and the vast majority of the rewards we give today is cash. Right. Is in cash. It's just my belief that there is a greater value out there, and some people very happy to spend 20 minutes answering some questions to get some cash. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. For me, if you give me value that says, actually, we're going to give you access to the Australian online for the next 24 hours because you've helped us with this information so I can get through their paywall and not pay for it to, to read an article, mm -hmm. that seems like a pretty good exchange to me. So it is cash. But my belief is in time that it, there'll be a greater piece of value. And there's an interesting Harvard business report that came out a couple of months ago that talks about what do people most want from sharing their data and what they most want. Absolutely, number one, is an improved experience. Mm. It isn't money. It's an improved experience. Mm. 
and for me to participate in this, I, it's an opt-in, as you say. So there, there is, as I understand it, a, an app, or you know, I go to your website and yep. I sign up for this process. That installs something on my phone or my computer, which then will serve me surveys or track my behaviour. I believe I can plug my Facebook profile, or my yep. Twitter account, and all that kind of stuff into it. Yeah, you can. It's, we have a mobile app that you can use just in the same way as you might use Spotify as a mobile app or whatever. Um, and the aim of that is also to make it aimed specifically at you. Mm. So the questions over time, as we get to know you better, should be more relevant to the things that you've answered, you know, and you're interested in, you've answered questions in before. Um, and absolutely, the aim is to enable, and, w and we see ourselves almost as Switzerland, as a place where we can help you get value out of your data. We're not using it ourselves, we're helping others use it, mm -hmm. and you get the chance as to whether you want to engage in that. The other really exciting area of our business that we're moving into more and more isn't just you coming to our website or signing up to our app. It's that we can now deliver in real time on ads online, we can deliver a widget that can ask you questions in real time and you can choose to answer. Mm -hmm. And that automatically brings an engagement with you. And if, for example, it's on, um, it's on a publisher's site who have uh, membership or subscription, mm -hmm. then it enables them to better understand their subscribers. Mm -hmm. That in turn means that they can give greater value to those subscribers in what they provide. And I suppose historically these companies have always sort of engaged in market research. Yeah. But before they would have to, you know, hire an intermediary, go through, there'd be consultants who'd go out, find people, give them surveys. So it's, it's not that they're doing anything new in that regard. They're doing it in a way that's perhaps more efficient for them as well, more targeted. Much more efficient, should be more effective too. And yeah, I mean, the, those days of... <laughs> When, when I first came to Australia, you can probably tell I have a, an English accent. When I first came to Australia in the 80s, Newcastle and Adelaide were the two centres that everybody did market research in because those two cities had what was an encapsulation of pretty much an exact replica in, in, in a microcosm of the whole Australian population. Is that right? So if no. you went to Adelaide, you could do a research, you could do research and then assume from the answers you got that that's how Australia would respond. Because Interesting. It was, um, unfortunately, Adelaide's very, very different now because there was a huge movement of an, a particular age group post-university away from Adelaide, so it doesn't, it doesn't do that anymore. Okay. But yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Those, those, in those days, that's how it was done. Right, and, and also too, there's, there's this interaction you have with your customers. It might not be a direct customer of pure profile, but rather there's an ad exchange intermediary mm -hmm. in there as well. Is that, is that still the way it's done or is it moving more to a direct relationship well, with, with the brands? And uh, Well, there's, I mean, uh, I can't, that's not, there's not an easy answer to that. Okay. The, the, the absolute view when, particularly when Google came along, was that they would disintermediate the audience from, um, or sorry, the clients from the audience um, and stop ad agencies being able to provide that service. Mm -hmm. Things have undoubtedly changed, but certainly ad agencies still exist. Mm. Um, and it's fair to say that 
programmatic or the way that people buy through an exchange, which isn't let me buy the Daily Telegraph's audience, but let me buy men 25 to 45, wherever yeah. they might be, um, is absolutely a more popular way for people to buy advertising these days. So the business founded all the way back in 2000, mm -hmm. first product release in 2002, and then listed in 2015. Correct. And in that time, um, so over the last three years or so, top line's pretty much doubled mm -hmm. over that period. Um, but there've been a few, I guess, changes and perhaps wobbles along the way. Uh, can you bring the listeners up to speed? I know it's been a rather tumultuous year, and as you say, you've had sort of 10 months in the, in the mm -hmm. roles about December last year or so. Can you give us a very quick sort of summation as to that journey since being a listed company, where you've come to, where you are now, and sort of where you sort of see yourselves going over the next five years or so? Sure. So um, let's, start, let's start at 2015. So the company lists, it buys, it acquires uh, Spark. a media company, Spark, yep. uh, which is where the media piece comes from. Yep. And then uh, about a year later, maybe 18 months later, it acquires the performance business, which is Cohort. Yep. And the aim of those purchases were to deliver what I've just described to right. you. I think it's fair to say that they struggled to deliver that uh, at the time. I think both an issue of overcomplication of what we were doing, but also a lack of integration of those businesses. So as I started out saying right at the very beginning, data and insights is at the core of our business. The purpose of buying the other businesses was that the data and insights business should give more value to those businesses. Well, if you don't integrate them properly, then you don't get that value exchange. And I also think it's fair to say, I don't think I'm saying anything too controversial, is the market's view, and it would be my view, and it's very easy for me to say this in hindsight, mm -hmm. but the market's view was that we certainly paid too much money for one of those mm -hmm. acquisitions, the cohort, cohort. Mm -hmm. cohort acquisition. And from the moment that occurred, I think that put pressure on the share price. And then because the business hadn't integrated properly, I think it became quite hard mm -hmm. to, uh, to manage through mm -hmm. that process. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing is, if you look back, or if I look back at the business and the way that it acquired advertisers or clients, mm -hmm. I think it wasn't doing that in a very scalable way. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you come to an arrangement with a new client, but actually you then have to build whatever it is you've just sold to that client, that's not very scalable. Right. Because uh, you have to build it. Yeah and that stops you selling to somebody else and et cetera, et cetera. So I think there was a, all elements of all of those things mm. combined. And I guess the end result is the cost base of the company blew out. Right. So fast forward then through to, um, well, probably mid-year, about this time last year, and the board decided that they wanted to bring a new CEO in. Mm. The founder and CEO, Paul Chan, moved to a, product or innovation role mm -hmm. um, and in the process of finding a new CEO that's why I'm here okay and Paul and I and Paul is a massive visionary and a really exciting technology um, maven almost mm -hmm. but probably would say himself um, struggled to combine that with being a CEO gotcha 
Um, and we decided once, and he and I actually get on really well, but once we'd worked out where the business needed to go and what it needed to do, it was neither his interest to carry on doing that because it got to boring stuff like delivering on what we were supposed to do and cutting the costs of the business. So Paul left the business early this year. Okay. And so the last, uh, particularly sort of six months, uh, I came in, as you said, in December. I spent three months listening and watching and learning. And the interesting thing for me is if you're going to lead a business, the, the, the hardest thing for me was to lead a business which was clearly very, full of very, very talented people but didn't have a really strong leadership team. Okay. And the difficulty of being able to deliver that on your own, it's actually pretty lonely being a CEO anyway, but it's even more lonely if you don't have a group of people around you who have the same vision and desire and mission as, as you feel. Mm -hmm. So I decided that because I didn't have that leadership team yet, that I would really double down on the culture of the business, making sure that we built it to a business, the business I wanted to be in, the business that I wanted to come to every day and have a great time, mm. feel challenged, yeah, and work really hard, but also really enjoy it. Mm. And I figured that if I could create that, then the people within the business who are extremely talented, but were maybe a little bit lost, would feel like there was something really worth fighting for. And in the meantime, go find your leadership team. And so that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last six months. Mm -hmm. We've cut the cost back of the business. We were running uh, when I joined and uh, at our half yearly results, uh, we announced uh, we were on a, on a run rate of about 25 million mm -hmm. cost, which mm -hmm. is way too much for mm -hmm. a company this size and the revenue we have. Mm -hmm. um, so we've cut that down to between 20 and 21 million. And that includes the new hires? Absolutely. The, the Absolutely. leadership team? Yep. Yep. Um, part of what needed to be done was there was a lot of consolidation and rationalization of the business. So there was money being spent on things that we didn't need. Um, and yes, you know, the unfortunate reality of um, retooling a company is that you also realize that there are some people who maybe don't fit in to where and how you want the business to be and where you want the business to go. Um, and so in that process of building the culture and the vision for the business, it, that also, also becomes a bit of a, a self-selecting process for the people in the business. And the people who gather around and go, oh, right, I want some of that, absolutely. You realize that the people you want there and the people who are a bit like, oh, I don't know, that's what I want to do. So, um, so fast forward to today. So we have, as I said, a, a brand new um, exec team. So um, Paul left and the first, the first person to join was our CTO mm -hmm. because technology was, is and is and was at the absolute heart of this business. It's our secret source. Mm -hmm. it's, our, it's our creative hub. Mm -hmm. so, and that's proprietary, correct. IP protected, all of that stuff. Correct, yep. correct. Um, so that was the first thing I needed to do, and to be comfortable that Paul would be that Paul could leave. Um, I was very lucky because I'd met a previous CTO of this company who was still consulting to us and was so passionate about the business, and he came back, returned, great, and he brought a couple of uh, really really smart people who also used to work here back. Thank heavens, my head of uh, people and talent it was brilliant, and she absolutely held it all together while we were going through this process. 
So she stayed, then brought in um, uh, a new CFO, a new uh, head of marketing, um, a new uh, head of sales and operations, a new MD in the UK, because the UK had been without um, an MD for pretty well the whole time I was, mm. I've been here. Mm. Um, and that's actually a really important point just to talk about with the business. We are a global business. We have a business in the UK, which is growing faster than anything else that we're doing. And that I have very high hopes for what we can mm. do there. Um, we also have a business in, in New York, mm. which is more a strategic business that is helping us build strong relationships with large companies who have headquarters in New York. And hopefully we will be able to expand that business in time. So and about about a third of revenue offshore at the moment, a uh, source from offshore? No, that no? wouldn't be true. Uh, about a fifth. A fifth, so, okay, yeah, my mistake. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So should be more. Um, having come from, uh, from a job where I was building businesses all around the world uh, for a music video company, um, I know exactly what the percentages should be of each, you know, each member company and the US and the UK should be much bigger than Australia. They're not yet, but hopefully they will be. And that's a, a big part of what we're doing. So the, the new MD in the UK was a really, really important hire. And Matt joined us actually ex-Google. We've been really excited about him joining us. He's in fact our newest uh, recruit. He joined two, two, three weeks ago. Okay. Um, and so we now have the exec team in place. Okay. And I guess the, the thing to say is that it suddenly becomes way more exciting to be able to have a group of people who have the same passion and vision to deliver something. We know we are a business which is in exactly the right spot at the right time. It's a business that maybe is messed up in the past and some people maybe will never forgive us. But I'm very proud to say that the majority of the shareholders that I've been to see have all given me time. And let me tell you, there's a few of them who paid a lot more for their shares than they're worth now and I believe are you know, prepared to, to give me time to, to do what I, you know, what, I, what I believe we can do as a business. If you look at the long-term vision, you know, I mean, you talk about five years. I, I, I really worry about putting a time scale on things because honestly, I look two years ahead and get nervous. But the reality is that if the public understand the value of their data and embrace it in a way that says, do you know what? I've no, I no longer have to worry about the fact that I think somebody's going to rip off my credit card or somebody's going to get into my bank account and steal my money or somebody's going to know where I live and come and you know, work out that I'm, not at work, uh, that I'm at work and break in or whatever, mm. whatever those issues are. And they're all well-founded issues from, the, from history. Yeah. If, that, if, if we can deal with all of that, you have, a, you have a situation where you have an incredibly exciting business landscape where you look at businesses, Netflix are a really good example of a new business model that's massively disrupting, that's making it you know, a big challenge for Channel 9. And, and you know, they, they create a business like Stan, really exciting model to try and compete with Netflix. But the reality is we've all worked out, and I, this is very close to my heart, you know, six and a half years in a music business where nobody believed anybody was prepared to pay for content. People are prepared to pay for content. Mm. They are prepared to pay for the right content. And you look at Netflix, you look at the way that uh, the iPlayer took off in the UK. People, although that they, they want access to, to specific content, 
There's also a plethora of content out there and they need people to help them curate. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think where our business sits today, both in terms of the data and insights, an ability to work with the content creators to help them understand what's popular, help them curate what they've got there, help them connect to the, to the, to the customer who is saying, no longer really I turn the TV on and it stays on that channel all night. Mm. They might not even stay on a TV channel all night. And I mean, that thing that you have in the you know, screen in the lounge, we call it a TV, but is it really a TV? It's actually a window into a whole bunch of content that is no longer, um, if you like, uh, characterized by TV channels. Mm. It's characterized maybe by genre mm. or by the country it comes from. Um, albeit that you know, TV companies still have a very, very big part to play and they can create huge audiences around big content moments. Those content moments tend to be something that's very timely. So they tend to be sport or news based. But if you want to watch the next series um, of House of Cards, Netflix sticking it there and going, right, there's all 12 episodes, go for your life. And you know, watch it when you want. How watch you it want. when you want. And you know, the the way we as a family watch content is, if it's something that's on Channel Nine, we'll collect it, so that in the end we can watch it when we're ready to watch it. And we can, if we want, we can binge and watch right. it all in one go. So, I think that's an incredibly exciting landscape for a business like ours to be working in today and in the next couple of years. And if and if we're right and people do really start to understand that opportunity then I think we're in a fantastic position to grow our business um, in many ways that we probably haven't even imagined or thought about yet. So it's a very interesting um, uh, future I guess that you paint there. One, One of the things that occurs to me is that at the same time and this is probably said of any technology company in any space is that yeah, I can see the future unfolding like that, but why isn't it going to, like you mentioned the Googles or the you know the Facebooks or something like that, why a little Aussie company, why are they, why, how, what's their competitive edge? What allows them to do it? Is it the proprietary nature of the software? Is it a first mover advantage there? Is it just the fact that the pie is growing so fast that there's, there's room to grow within that competitive dynamic? Or what, what would be your response to... to so just um, unpacking that a bit. The, fir- the first thing is that if you just want to be the pipe, then you have, to, you have to give credit and cash to those who actually put the content down the pipe. And it would not be a very large step for me to say right now that there is a view in the world today by people who spend billions on creating content that they are not getting the recognition they should be getting to deliver it down the pipes that most people are watching today. And I mean, YouTube's a really good example of that. Um, Again, I go back to my music days and, you know, we, we put Vivo on YouTube at the beginning because we thought we needed to be on every platform and it was just one platform and it's hard it's hard actually to remember this far ago but I only have to go back you know seven eight years mm. and we thought yeah YouTube's going to be big but we didn't think it was going to be the market right but it is yeah right so number one if you want to be those pipes 
then there has to be a recognition of the value of the content that goes down those pipes. The second thing is that my belief is that if you have too much of your own content in that space, it starts to become um, less attractive for me to help your content if I've got my own content that right. I want to sell. Right. And so it then becomes much more difficult to enable, as it were, I suppose you can call it a level playing field, whatever, whatever way you want, you want to put it. And my belief is, the, the, the last piece of this is my belief is, and I fundamentally believe this, this is where I come from in terms of all content, be it music, be it movies, be it books, whatever, that you cannot reduce everything down to an algorithm. Somebody has to create it first. Mm. And, you know, the music example I always use is, okay, sure, you can help make Adele be world famous and the most successful female artist ever. But you, can't exp you, you cannot discover her from an algorithm. You cannot say, this woman is so talented, I have to give her a platform on which people can either hear her or see her mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And so to my mind, content is always still going to be king. Distribution is much, much more important than we ever thought it would be. Mm. But it is possible for a company, and we are a small company. We're not an Aussie company. I mean, we're an Aussie company to start with, mm. but we're broader than Aussie. It is possible for a company to say, actually, let us help you with that to the very large content creators. Let us help you with that, and let, let us help you get that to a really valuable and relevant audience. Maybe a good example of that was a recent deal you guys announced with News Corp mm -hmm. over in the, in the US yeah. um, in regard to their News IQ offering. So yeah. very, very big company yeah. and, and there's, a, there's a deal there. Can you explain to the listeners a bit about that deal and, and why they've, they've partnered up with you? Sure. So News are, I think, maybe certainly at the front, maybe ahead of everybody, but certainly at the front of what you'd call a traditional um, a traditional publisher or content creator who are understanding the importance of data and insights to their business. Uh, a business that is really trying to get to grips with who their audience are. And for them, there is both the importance, as I mentioned earlier, in fact, I mentioned both of these earlier, there's the importance of if I can value my audience to a greater extent, I become more attractive mm -hmm. to, to, add to the advertising market. And also, if I understand my audience better, I can even better understand the content that, they'd want to, that, they, that they would want to um, consume. So news are a really important partner of ours and really excited to be working them, with them both in Australia and in, and in America to help them better get to grips with that. And I guess that's what I mean about those opportunities of working with large media companies. We don't, we're not interested in taking their business away from them. We want to make them more valuable. We want to give them a better opportunity to monetize. And my background is all media. Mm -hmm. And so I'm on, as it were, I'm on their side. So to that end, I think there is a place for a company to help that process as opposed to maybe some companies who are trying to take that away from them. Mm -hmm. okay. And we certainly have no, uh, no desires to do that. Right. Um, 
Listen, we, we wrap it up soon. I guess one of the other things we should mention in terms of the, the financials of the business, you guys are cash flow positive um, uh, operationally. Um, uh, there's a bit of cash in the bank. There's a there's about $10 million worth of debt also. Mm-hmm. How, in terms of pursuing your 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 growth ambitions, do you feel as though you've got the cash flow and the, the, the balance sheet structure in place that will will help you kind of get there? The reality is, and what, what I'm impressing upon all of my staff, and our catch cry for this year, is about, it's about delivering on our promises. Mm. All that I've done so far is get us to a point where we deserve the chance to have a go again. Mm. I'm not interested in any kind of acquisition at this stage, because I, I just physically, we couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. We couldn't ingest an acquisition. Um, but I also, similarly, don't want to become an acquisition target for somebody else because I want to the chance to be able to build this business up. So right now, we're in a situation where we need to remain cash positive. Mm-hmm. We need to make money. I wanted to get the company at the beginning of this financial year, I wanted to get the company to a point where we could hit a not too ambitious revenue target and still be profitable. And so that was, everything's been set up on that premise. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I want to I want us to get as much revenue as we can mm. to build the business. I think that if we can have a year of doing that, then the opportunity to be able to go to the market and say, actually, we've got some loftier ambitions than that now, mm. um, that the market will go, okay, we'll hear you out. What do you reckon? Mm. Um, I think were I to go to any of our shareholders today and start talking that way, they kind of their eyes would roll into the back of their heads and they go, here we go again. That, the reality is that we are going to deliver on the things that we know we can do now. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that that's all in place and that we can look after our shareholders and build the bottom line and hopefully see the share price go up. And that's obviously something that isn't in my power. All I can do is try and make the company successful and hope everybody realizes that and recognizes that. And then maybe if we're having this conversation in a year, Andrew, you, we can have a conversation which is far more about, well, where could this go? And what's the opportunity? And how big could it really be? Because at the moment, I've got us to the point where we have the right to, to deliver against our results. Well, clearly you're a believer. I noticed uh, quite a substantial trade on market yeah. uh, for yourself uh, yeah. recently. So putting your money where your mouth yeah. is, which which is great. And um, I might take you up on that offer to chat next year and, <laughs> and check in. But Nick, look, it's been great. Uh, thank you so much for the overview of the business and, and best of luck over the next year. Thanks very much, Andrew. Well, there you have it. I hope that conversation gave you some more insight into the business and leaves you more informed as an investor. By the way, if you enjoy hearing from CEOs and other investors, Strawman is teaming up with the folks over at Rask Finance to host a special live event in Melbourne this November. We'll be joined by a panel of expert investors and CEOs to dig into the market and some of the opportunities that are out there at present. All you have to do is Google Eventbrite and Strawman, E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E, 
and you'll see the booking page. Or if you prefer, just send me an email at admin at strawman.com and I'll send all the details through. Remember too that you can always connect with me on Twitter under the handle at sage underscore Simeon and I'd invite you to share any feedback you may have or offer up a suggestion or two for future episodes. Speaking of which, we don't really have a set schedule for these podcasts, but you can be sure that we'll be back in the very near future with another interview. But until then, my name's Andrew Page and thanks for listening.